Welcome to Reimagining Atlantis. My name's Tori, and I'll be your host. Hello, everyone. I guess I owe you an apology. It seems that I missed last week. Not that I didn't have the material, just that I was so busy burning the candles from both ends. I had a wedding to attend to, breaks to fix, people to help, all the while the new job, and working on this podcast. So my deepest apologies. Plus, I am pretty much out of stuff that was in my head, so now I actually have to do a little bit more research. I have a little bit more information that is running around in my head that I'm going to have to compartmentalize and make it easier to understand. If any of you guys were to ever take a journey through my mind, you would probably run out screaming. There is so much emphasis on the Great Flood. Most of us picture it in our head as a long time ago. Would it surprise you to know that the Great Flood has been tentatively dated to around 1646 BCE with the eruption of Thera? The explosion estimated to be about the equivalent of 40 atomic bombs, or approximately 100 times more powerful than the eruption at Pompeii, blew out the interior of the island and forever altered its topography. Since it's located in the middle of the Aegean Sea, it blew a crater, leaving the water to fill what was once land. This water displacement alone would have caused huge tidal waves maybe even pulling back the water of the Red Sea, allowing for a wall of water to come rushing back. The best example of what we have of what the ancients went through would be the eruption of Mount Tambora of 1815. Although the Mount Tambora eruption reached a violent climax on April 10th, 1815, increased steaming and small eruptions occurred during the next six months to three years. The ash from the eruption dispersed around the world and lowered global temperatures in an event sometimes known as the Year Without a Summer of 1816. This brief period of significant climate change triggered extreme weather and harvest failures in many areas around the world. Several climate forces coincided and interacted in a systematic manner that has not been observed after any other large volcanic eruption since the early Stone Age. On April 5, 1815, a giant eruption occurred, followed by a thunderous detonation sounds heard about 380 kilometers or 240 miles away. On the morning of April 6, volcanic ash began to fall in East Java with a faint detonation sounds lasting until April 10th. What was first thought to be the sound of firing guns was heard on April 10th on Sumatra, more than 2,600 kilometers or 1,600 miles away. A moderate-sized tsunami struck the shores of various islands in the Indonesian archipelago on April 10th with a height of up to 4 meters or 13 feet. Another tsunami was reported in East Java, just before midnight, and one of about seven feet or two meters in height on the Maluka Islands. The total death toll has been estimated to be around 4,600 people. 
As we're learning, there are more people who survived this great flood. I briefly mentioned Dardanus in one of my previous episodes, so I thought I would expand a bit more and focus on Dardanus and the lineage of Troy. My sources, as usual, are linked in my episode description. Okeanus and Tethys had a bunch of children, however, for this episode, I'm only going to focus on a specific line of heritage that ultimately defines Troy and then later the Roman Empire. In one such instance, Tethys gave birth to twins, Scamander and Pleione. The Scamander River was a river that surrounded Troy. The god Scamander took the side of the Trojans in the Trojan War. Pleione married the titan Atlas, and was the mother to seven daughters known as the Pleiades. Their names were Maya, Electra, Tegeti, Alcanoni, Oriano, Sterope, and Merope. According to Apollodorus, the Pleiades were born to Pleiadon at Selene, or Mount Selene, in Arcadia. Among her grandchildren were the god Hermes and the demigod Iason. Arcadia is a region in the central Peloponnese. It takes the name from the mythological character Arcus, and in Greek mythology, it was the home of god Pan. Arcadia refers to a vision of pastoralism and harmony with nature. The providence's mountainous topography and sparse population of pastoralists later caused the word Arcadia to develop into a poetic byword for an idyllic version of unspoiled wilderness. Arcadia is a poetic term associated with bountiful natural splendor and harmony. The garden is often inhabited by shepherds, although commonly thought of as being in line with the utopian ideals Arcadia differs from that tradition in that more often specifically regarded as unattainable. Furthermore, it's seen as lost, contrasting to the progressive nature of utopian desires. One of Atlas and Pleione's children, Electra, was courted by Zeus, and she bore two children, Dardanus and Aeson. According to an Italian version of the genealogy, Aeson and Dardanus were both Electra's sons and both were born in Italy, with Aeson being fathered by King Corthus of Italy and Dardanus by Zeus. Meanwhile, back in Arcadia, meanwhile, back in Arcadia, there was a king named Lycaon. Lycaon was the son of Pelagius, one of the first mortals who was either born of the soil or was the son of Zeus and Niobe. Lycaon would succeed Polescus as the king of Polescia, as Arcadian was then known. This was the period in Greek mythology before the Great Flood when Cicropa was upon the throne of Athens and Ducleon was the king of Thessaly. To test Lycaon and his sons, Zeus visited Polescia in the disguise of a laborer, as Zeus wandered through the kingdom, signs of God's divinity started to show through, and the populace started to worship the stranger. 
Lycaon decided to test the divinity of Zeus, and so the king and his sons arranged for a banquet to which Zeus was invited. A child was killed, and part of his body were roasted, and parts were boiled, with all parts served up as a meal for the god. The child butchered for the meal was variously named as Nyctimus. A furious Zeus overturned the serving table, and the god had his vengeance upon Lycaon and his sons. Now it's said that either Lycaon and his sons were all struck down by lightning bolts, or else it was the sons who were killed whilst Lycaon fled from the palace and was transformed into a wolf by Zeus. Hence the belief that Lycaon was the first ever werewolf. According to Plato, in his book The Republic, the Lycaea ceremony at Mount Lycaeus was believed to involve human sacrifice and lycanthropy. That means assuming the form of a wolf. The Greek traveler Posineasis implies that the rite was practiced in the 2nd century CE. It was usually said that one son of Lycaean survived the attack of Zeus. This son, being the youngest, Nectimus, with survival either due to the intervention of the goddess Gaia, or else it was Nectimus who had been the sacrificial son, and as a result was resurrected by the gods, in much the same way as Pelops would also be resurrected. The successor of Lycaon ruled for but a short time in any case, for it was commonly said that the actions of Lycaon and his sons were the reason why Zeus sent the deluge upon the earth to destroy that generation of man. The deluge, or great flood, was sent by Zeus to rid the earth of the impious and quarrelsome generation of man that now inhabited it. At the time, Dardanus, alongside his elder brother Aeson, were kings of Arcadia. Dardanus would marry Chrysi, the daughter of Pallas and granddaughter of King Lycaon. Some say that Chrysi brought with her the famous Paladum as part of her dowry, although this is just one version of the myth. Dardanus and Chrysi would have two sons, Aideus and Demaeus. When the Great Flood came, the surviving Arcadians retreated to the mountains that had become islands due to the flood, and Dardanus and Aeson built a boat and set sail upon the floodwaters. Whilst Aideus decided to go with his father, Demaeus remained behind and would become the king of those who stayed. There's no mention of Chrysi, and supposition is that by this time she had already died. The boat, with Dardanus and his followers upon, would set sail. The boat would first come to rest upon an island of Samuel Thraki, and according to Posinasis, the island was once known as Dardania. The stay at Samothraki was not a happy one, though, for Dardanus considered the land of poor quality, and it was also on Samothraki that Dardanus lost his brother Aeson. Some stories tell that Dardanus and Aeson were invited to the wedding of Cadmus and Harmonia. During the wedding feast, the goddess Demeter took a fancy to Aeson and whisked him away to have her way with him. When the pair returned to the feast, Zeus instantly knew what had gone on between the pair and in an act of jealousy killed Aeson with a thunderbolt. All accounts agree that Dardanus came to Trode from Samothraki 
and was welcomed by King Teusser's father, not far from Reatin Premonitory. However, Dionysus of Halicarnassus states that Teusser had come to Trode from Attica, where he was chief of the Zypeti region. In both cases, he ended up in the region, which would later become known as being Trode. His company was said to have been greatly annoyed by a vast number of mice during their first night in the region. Teusser had previously been directed by an oracle before leaving Crete to build a settlement in the place where he would be attacked in the nighttime by an enemy sprung from the earth, or, quote, where the earthborn should attack him. Since mice had attacked them during the night, he resolved to settle there. He probably founded the city of Hamaxius and established it as his capital. Teusser is said to have had a good reign and he was successful in all his undertakings. He was said to have been the first to build a temple to Apollo or Apollo, the destroyer of mice, since it was Apollo who was said to have destroyed the mice infesting that area during Teusser's reign. Batea, also known as Batea or Ereceba, King Teusser's daughter and only child was given to marriage to Dardanus. Dardanus received land on Mount Ida from his now father-in-law as King Teusser did not have any sons. There, Dardanus founded the city of Dardanus, which became the capital of his kingdom. Upon that point, that piece of land was also known as Tucreia in the inhabitants as Tecreans after Teusser. Dardanus later founded the city of Thambra in honor of his friend Thambraeus, who was said to have been killed by Dardanus. Dardanus and Beata would become parents to a number of children, a son, Ilias, who died young, a daughter, Idea, who would become the wife of Phineas, another son of Zacnathus, who was the first to settle upon the island of Sacthanos, an heir to Dardanus and Erechthonius. Just for clarification, this Erechthonius is not the same as Erechtheus of Athens, who became the spring and king. All we really know of Erechthonius is by Homer in the following quote, In the beginning, Dardanus was the son of Zeus and founded Dardania. For Ilion was not yet established on the plain for men to dwell in, and her people still abode on the spurs of many founded Ida. Dardanos had a son, King Erechthonius, who was the wealthiest of all men living. He had three thousand mares that fed by the water meadows, and their fowls with them. Boreas was enamored of them as they were feeding, and covered them in the semblance of a dark-maned stallion. Twelve filly fowls did they conceive and bear him, and these, as they sped over the fertile plain, would go on bounding on over the ripe ears of wheat and would not break them, or again, when they would disport themselves on the broad back of the ocean, they could gallop on the crest of a breaker. Erechthonius begat Tros, king of the Trojans, and Tros had three noble sons, Ilias, Asacrios and Ganymede, who is the comeliest of mortal men. Wherefore, the gods carried him off to be Zeus's cupbearer, for beauty's sake, that he might dwell among the immortals. Tros, 
ended up lending his name to Troy, and Ilios lent his name to Ilium, which is why this particular area had so many names. Dating this great flood has always been a mini passion of mine. The ancients would categorize ages by the dominant constellation. We're currently in the age of Pisces, or the fish. Prior to this constellation, we were in the age of Aquarius, which means a flood of water. Ganymede, who was briefly mentioned in the segment prior, was the son of Erechthonius and was very handsome. Ganymede was near Mount Ida in Troy, and he was tending the sheep. This was considered humble work for those who were not yet a man. He was all of the rage on Mount Olympus, and Zeus couldn't stop watching him. Finally, Zeus decided that he would have this boy, so he created a huge storm that plunged all of Troy into darkness, and he shapeshifted into an eagle and flew down to Troy to kidnap him. According to art, it depicts Ganymede running with, from Zeus, which may be an indication that his courtship was one-sided. Anyway, Zeus flew into the storm and flew above the clouds and found his way to Mount Olympus. Ganymede found himself stuck in being courted by the god of gods. Zeus wanted to keep the boy as his own, much to Hera's ire. As per usual, she couldn't actually touch his lover, so she took her wrath out on the entirety of Troy. She stirred the discord and sent the Greeks into a frenzy which launched the war with Troy. Zeus gave Ganymede ambrosia and turned him immortal. He placed him in the stars and called him Aquarius, the water bearer. It is said that Ganymede, that ever so often he would miss Zeus' cup and would cause a deluge of water on the earth. Tross was so upset with the loss of Ganymede that Zeus sent Hermes with two horses so swift that they could run over water. Hermes assured Tross that Ganymede was immortal and would be the cupbearer of the gods, a position of great distinction. From there, Tross named Ilios as the next heir to the throne. During his youth, Ilios went to Phygeria and taking part in games at the time were held by the local king. He won a victory in a wrestling match. As a prize, he received 50 youths and as many maidens and the king, on the advice of the oracle, gave him also a dappled cow and asked him to find a city wherever the cow should lay down. This took place when the cow came to the hill of Eight, and on that spot, Ilius built the city which he called Ilium. Ilius preferred his new city of Ilium to Dardania, and on his father's death he remained there, bestowing the rule of Dardania on his brother Asarachus instead, and so the Trojans were split into two kingdoms. After his death, his son Laomedon succeeded him in the throne and became the new king of Troy. Laomedon was very shrewd and successful. His city grew in wealth and prosperity. He was the father of Achaeus of Crete, Gesta, or Aegistia of Dardania, Lampus, Hycatome, Proclea, Antigone, King Dimas, Asiochi, Clytius, Kilia, Ethelia, Clydora, Priam, King of Troy, Tithonius of Troy, and Hesanine of Troy, and Laomedon's daughter, 
At some point, Laomedon promised to pay Poseidon and Apollo for building the great walls of Troy. But then Laomedon found a small crack in the wall and accused the duo of not completing the tasks. Poseidon convinced his friend Achaeus to fix the crack in the wall. When the disguised gods pushed back, Laomedon threatened to shackle them and send them off to slavery. He then threatened to cut off their ears. The gods left, threatening retribution. Apollo sent a disease of some sort that was ravaging his land. Poseidon first sent forth a tsunami before dispatching the Trojan Ketus to ravage the shoreline of Laomedon's kingdom. Now, this is the same name as the sea monster that Perseus slew to save Andromeda. We also have a parallel that both women were tied up to a rock as a sacrifice to the same sea monster. Anyway, Laomedon went to see the oracle and asked what he could do. The oracle told him that he needed to sacrifice a maiden to the monster. He drew lots, or straws, and eventually his own daughter, Hezanine, stick was pulled. Laomedon tied her to a rock to await her fate. It was then that Heracles Alcides offered to kill the sea monster if Laomedon would give him the golden vine and the divine horses that Zeus had given Atros as compensation after the abduction of Ganymede. Laomedon agreed, and so Heracles went down to the shoreline. The Trojan Ketus might have been a powerful monster, but it was no match for Heracles, and it was commonly said that the Trojan Ketus fell beneath the barrage of arrows unleashed by Heracles before the death blow was inflicted by the son of Zeus with a mighty club. With the Trojan Cletus slain and Hesonine rescued, Laomedon refused to pay Heracles the promised prizes, and a decision would later prove to be deadly for Laomedon. Heracles would return to Troy to gain his revenge. Heracles would return with six ships of men, the hero Telamon included, and laid siege to Troy. The walls at first held strong, but then the wall at one point constructed by Achaeus, Telamon's father, fell and Heracles and his men entered Troy. It's also said that Telamon had known where the weak spot was from his father, so therefore he had insider knowledge of how to break in. It's normally stated that Heracles killed the treacherous Laomedon and all of his sons, Bar, Tithonius, who was not present, and Patroclus. Hesonine would save her youngest brother, Patroclus, by presenting a ransom to Heracles in the form of the Golden Veil. And so Patroclus was saved. Patroclus would be subsequently known as Priam, a name that can be translated as to buy. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. Your support means everything to me. If you want to help make this podcast grow, please subscribe and tell just one other person about this podcast today. We are each our own hero in this story we call life. That means one person has the power to change everything. Who is the one person you tell today, hero? Let's help keep Atlantis alive, or at least reimagined. A new episode will be released every Thursday at 9 p.m. See you then. Wait, are you still here? Thank you. It's appreciated. Here's a clip for next week's episode.
Plato says that the total diameter of Atlantis was 27 stadia in diameter. That would be the center island, that is 5 stadia total. The inner water zone was 1 stadia, followed by land, that was 2 stadia, and another ring of water, which was 2 stadia, and the last land circle that was 3 stadia with its additional water band of 3 stadia. The Rishat structure is 127 stadia in diameter. To reach this number, Jimmy takes the 27 stadia in diameter, then additional 50 stadia from the center for, I'm assuming, the low-sided mountain. This could stretch the entire diameter to gain the extra 100 stadia needed to make the 127 stadia. However, according to Plato, the entire Atlantic City could fit within the center circle of the Rishat 